Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on bhg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're also on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Today, we're excited to be joined by Dr. Arun Sinyal, a professor at the VCU School of Medicine in the Department of Eternal Medicine. Dr. Sanyal is a researcher and liver disease specialist and the newly appointed director of the Stravitz Sanyal Institute for Liver Disease and Metabolic Health at BCU. He joins us today for a conversation about his work, liver health, a historic $104 million gift to support liver disease treatment and research, and more. So with that, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. So let's start with some basics. My sense is that the general public awareness about the liver is that it's an organ in the body that supports the digestive system and that overconsumption of alcohol over the long term can damage this organ. But in preparing for this episode, it's clear to me that there's a lot more to know about the liver and its role in the human body functions. Could you tell us about what the liver does and why it's such an important organ? Yeah, so the liver, everything you said is correct. The liver does help the digestive system. And what it does is it takes the food that we eat uh, and absorb from our intestine and converts it into forms that allow the rest of the body to use those nutrients. The second thing the liver does is that it can make sugar and the brain can only use the sugar for energy. So in between meals, the liver actually makes sure that the brain has enough sugar to maintain its functions. So as you might imagine then, if the liver gets sick, if the nutrients that it processes for the rest of the body are somehow altered, then the rest of the body will feel the consequences of that. Similarly, if the liver gets sick, then the brain starts malfunctioning. So the liver actually regulates the function of all of the organs in the body by modifying our metabolism and nutrition so that the rest of the organs can actually use the nutrients that we eat and absorb from our intestine. Now, the intestine is also a dirty environment. And so we not only absorb nutrients, but we also absorb bacteria, other kinds of things that could be harmful or toxic to the body. So the liver is the first, you know, port of call, if you will, once all of these things enter the body and the liver filters off many of the toxic substances that come into the body. The liver also provides an opportunity for the body to excrete, just like the kidneys get, allow us to get rid of toxins that build up in the body, our waste products. The liver also provides another way for our body to get rid of waste products. So when the liver gets sick, you get an accumulation of waste products in the body that can poison the body. The liver's direct effects on how every organ gets energy and utilizes energy can make all the other organs sick. And then if the liver is unable to filter off the bacteria and other bad substances coming in from the intestine, that itself can lead to infections and other kind of complications for the body. So as you can see from all of this, the liver really plays a central role in keeping us healthy. 
Well, statistics indicate that about 1 in 10 Americans have liver disease, which accounts for 2 million deaths worldwide each year. In the United States, data indicates a rise in liver disease deaths in the past 10 plus years. So with that background, could you tell us about the $104 million gift from Dr. Richard Todd Stravitz and his family's Barbara Brunkhorst Foundation, which is the largest in BC's history, and how it'll help transform liver research and the development of new treatment approaches? Yeah, as you mentioned, liver disease kills a lot of people, not just here in Virginia, but throughout the country and throughout the world. And the type of liver diseases that kill people have changed over the last few decades. About 30 years ago, this was mainly a problem of people who used, who got tainted blood transfusions or, uh, you know, got exposed to infected body fluids and got hepatitis as a consequence of that. Now, thanks to research, there are very good treatments for hepatitis C, and you can cure hepatitis C in virtually everybody uh, in 2022. There's been a lot of progress made in many areas of liver disease. But what has happened is that as we've made progress in curing many of these diseases or containing them, other diseases have surfaced. And one of the biggest problems that we currently face is something called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which can essentially lead to accumulation of fat in the liver, and the fat can damage the liver. And once the liver gets damaged, it gets inflamed. And over time, if the inflammation does not settle down, it leads to scarring of the liver, which can lead to cirrhosis and liver cancer. This is rapidly becoming a leading cause of liver-related death and liver cancer. It's also important to note that the incidence of liver cancer has been steadily increasing for the last 15 years, and it is linked to this fatty liver disease, which in turn is linked to diabetes, heart disease, chronic kidney disease, and many other diseases. Remember, we talked about how the liver plays a central role in how the body handles uh, nutrients. So fat is an essential nutrient. So we do need to consume certain amount of fat, but if you consume more energy than your body needs, then you convert it into fat and you store it in places that were never designed to hold fat. And the liver is one such organ. And if you have too much fat in the liver, it can damage the liver and then lead to cirrhosis. But in the process, it affects all of the other functions of the liver. So as the liver disease progresses to cirrhosis, you also get worsening of heart disease, increase in diabetes, and a number of other problems. And so historically, we think of diseases in a very siloed way, where the cardiologist just thinks about the heart, the kidney doctor thinks about the kidneys, the diabetes doctor thinks about blood sugar, and the liver doctor thinks about jaundice. But the reality is, that all the organs are affected in the same patient. So what the gift and what our approach is going to do is try to integrate all these different streams of science into a more patient-centered approach and with a view to translate the findings from different groups to better understand what is the common biology that drives the organ disease across the different organs so that if we hit that common biology, we should be able to improve all the different organs that are affected 
so that with one drug we can improve the heart, the kidneys, the blood sugar, the liver, everything. And so we reduce the burden of treatment for the patients and you reduce cost of care. You also will develop integrated approaches to how we evaluate our patients. So they don't have to spend a lot of time getting their heart worked up and then spend more time getting their kidneys worked up and then more time getting their liver worked up. All of that can be done in a more compressed and a seamless way so that we can assess all the organs that need to be evaluated very quickly and ideally in a single setting. So this will really impact the burden of care as well as the outcomes of patients. The second approach we will take is to identify what makes one person more susceptible to heart disease, whereas another person is more susceptible to liver disease. When the same biology is playing out in all the organs, why do some people get one kind of problem versus someone else who gets a different kind of problem? And that way we will develop precision approaches targeting the right therapeutics for the right patient. And these are both paradigm shifts in how we approach the care of people who have what we call metabolic syndrome currently. As a researcher, you primarily focus on non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, alcohol-related liver disease, and end-stage liver disease. And a moment ago, you gave us a primer on the liver and its role in the body. Could you provide a similar overview for our listeners about the signs of liver disease and perhaps offer some lifestyle tips about promoting and protecting liver health? So, you know, it's very important to remember that the liver is a very forgiving organ. The liver will not let you know that something is wrong till it's very seriously wrong. So most people who have liver disease have very minimal symptoms, if any. And when the symptoms occur, often it is very nonspecific, like feeling tired and fatigued and so on and so forth. By the time the classical signs of liver disease, such as jaundice or swelling of the body occur, Typically, the liver disease is very advanced, and at that point, the treatment options are much more limited, and often we have to have a conversation about liver transplantation when things go out that far out. So it is very important to have a conversation with your physician about whether you are at risk of having liver disease and have your physician run some screening tests to make sure that you do not have an underlying liver problem because you cannot wait for symptoms to occur. If you do that, you're waiting too long, and you will have limited treatment options. In the meantime, it is important also to remember that if you treat your liver well, the liver will keep you alive and healthy. So how do you keep your liver well? One is moderation. Moderation in diet, moderation in alcohol, ideally no alcohol, but I understand that alcohol is the integral part of the culture of our society. But if you do consume alcohol, please consume in moderation no more than one to two drinks at a sitting and only modest amount of alcohol consumption, probably best not to engage in regular alcohol consumption. No amount of alcohol consumption is safe on a consistent basis and can increase the risk not only of liver disease, but also of various cancers, etc. So in terms of the diet, having a balanced diet where you're not consuming more calories than your body needs and to be able to maintain an optimal body weight. So if you're overweight or obese, 
then you have to consume less calorie than your body needs so you can start burning some of that fat. You have to combine the diet with physical activity. Just reducing diet is good, but not enough. Similarly, exercising without making the diet adjustments good, but not enough. Ideally, you have to do both. You have to be a little bit more mindful about what you're putting into your body. And certain things, you know, there are some general principles, such as reducing the total amount of food that you consume, especially if you're overweight or obese. Number two is to avoid, you know, things that contain a lot of refined sugars, particularly things that are just packed with refined sugar and sweets. Those are not good for you. There is something called high fructose corn syrup. So this is derived from corn and converted into a sugar called fructose. And many of the things that you get in your grocery store will contain large amounts of high fructose corn syrup. And that is really not a very healthy thing to consume. And the current epidemic of obesity and many of the diseases associated with obesity, including fatty liver disease, are linked to the national increase in consumption of high fructose corn syrup. So what's the label of what you are buying at the grocery store and what you're consuming? Avoid high fructose corn syrup. Avoid the refined sugars. Keep your caloric intake in line with your body's needs. Increase fiber intake. Avoid things that contain a lot of saturated fats and trans fats. So those are sort of general guidances. But really, you have to talk to your physician about the kind of foods that you do consume, your family circumstances. And it is important that not only the individual make changes that are aligned with healthy living, but ideally the whole family should make those changes. Changes are much more readily sustainable when the whole family makes a change for a more healthier lifestyle than just an individual. It's very hard for an individual to switch to a healthy lifestyle where the rest of the family is indulging in all the wrong food choices. And so we mentioned that you are a professor researcher and that you've been recently appointed as director of the Stravid Senyal Institute for Liver Disease and Metabolic Health at BCU. Looking ahead, can you tell us about some initiatives that are underway or are planned for the future of the institute? So, you know, there are several areas that we want to invest in and this is going to be an area of growth in research for VCU over the next few years. But the specific areas we want to invest in are in data science. You know, the focus of research involves looking at many millions of pieces of information and analyzing how they come together and to make sense out of it. And so they're very specific analytical approaches using uh, machine learned tools, artificial intelligence, etc., and deep learning to sort of make sense of this complex data that we get from biological samples. So that's going to be a major area that the program will invest in. Another area we will focus a lot on is to better understand how the bacteria in our intestine modify our health and our uh, contribute to development of diseases. It has become very clear that the bacteria in the intestine play a very important role in maintaining our body health. So the bacteria can lead to ill health in two ways. When the bacteria change and you lose the good functions of the bacteria in the intestine, then you have sort of what we call a loss of function. 
Conversely, if certain types of harmful bacteria overgrow, they can produce other kinds of problems that are due to gain of function from these bacteria. So these are early days in terms of understanding how the bacteria in the intestine affect our health. So this is an area that we intend to pursue fairly rigorously. The third area we want to get into is gene editing. Many disorders involve abnormal function of specific genes. And some of these are genetic disorders, which can have a devastating impact on the patient that is affected, even though these are not very common. But then there are other diseases, common diseases, where certain types of genes can malfunction. So using gene editing and gene modifying tools that are only targeted to the affected cell. So we're not talking about changing the genetic composition of the individual or doing things that will affect how their children are born and the genetic composition of their children and so on and so forth. We're really targeting the cells that are sick because a particular gene is not working properly and to be able to modify that to generate gene-based cures for uh, those type of disorders. And then we also want to leverage all of the advances in technology to bridge the gap between what ideal healthcare looks like in our view and the resources available to provide that care. Because no matter how many resources you have, compared to what we think is ideal and the resources available, there is a gap. And that is one of the reasons why care gets fragmented. Sometimes we end up with mixed messaging to our patients when different healthcare providers provide different types of messages to the patient. Sometimes when a patient has multiple doctors taking care of them and the doctors are not communicating properly with each other, they trip over each other. One doctor can do things that another doctor is trying to undo and vice versa. So many of these type of problems that are really inherent within our current way of managing patients in this country, we can actually obviate by using technology to bring all the care providers into alignment make sure that the messaging between the care providers and the patient is consistent and aligned, and it reduces medical errors. Medical errors is a big problem, and you can't fix things unless you acknowledge that they exist. And there's a lot of literature because of the fragmentation of care. Frequently, things can fall through the cracks. These are all suboptimal things, so we want to leverage technology to optimize the way care is delivered and generate new paradigms for how we provide care in a more effective way while reducing healthcare resources needed to provide that kind of care. Thank you so much for sharing that and again for being with us. Now we'd like to ask you a pair of just personal fun questions to give our listeners some insight about you beyond your work. So if you would, could you pick two numbers between 1 and 10 and I'll ask you the corresponding questions from a set list? Okay, three and seven. Okay. What is the best piece of advice you have ever received, and why does it stick with you? Well, I think the best advice I ever received was to keep your head down and focus on your own work. Don't get distracted by what others are doing, you know? You can only change your life, right? You can't change what others are doing. So you need to focus on your own work and be the best version of yourself. And number seven, if you could choose one superpower to have or any skill to instantly master, what would it be and why? <laughs> uh, I wish I could learn music, you know. 
I love music, but I have absolutely no musical talent. <laughs> Any instrument in particular? I would love to play the piano, but totally an aspirational goal. Maybe one day when I retire, that's <laughs> something I can pick up. But if my complete lack of musical talent plays through, I'm not sure, you know, my wife may kick me out of the house if I start doing that. <laughs> but at least I can tell her it's not the violin, right? That would be really bad if I picked up the violin. Well, um, that brings us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Dr. Arun Sanyal, for joining us today. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me.